in a conversation with a friend who's an atheist? Stop by the Utah Christian Research Center to see our selection of books that may be of help. The Utah Christian Research Center is open Wednesday through Saturday at 10 a.m. at 579 West Galena Park Place in Draper. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Books that were given away by the First Presidency between the years 1981 and 2017. That's what we've been looking at for several shows now. And today we're going to switch gears a little bit and start honing in on a particular book. Whereas before, we have been kind of looking at topics and comparing what all the various books had to say on a given topic. Today, we're going to start off by looking at the book called Gospel Doctrine, Sermons and Writings of President Joseph F. Smith, who was the sixth president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as well as the nephew of the founder of the Mormon movement, Joseph Smith. Now, Eric, if somebody wanted to get these quotes, where can they find them? They can go to our website, mrm.org. Just type in Christmas books, and you'll get right to that page, the number one entry. And on that page, we have an introductory article, but we also have links to each of the books that we're going to be covering, including today's book for 1990 Gospel Doctrine. So any quote we use here today, click on that. You'll be able to find those quotes. And as Eric mentioned, this book was given away as a Christmas gift in 1990. And why is that important? Let me just reiterate. You would think that if the First Presidency is going to give away a book, and these are not just the average books, these are bound in leather, special editions that were given only to general authorities and some employees of the LDS Church. If they were going to give a book away like that, you would have to assume they probably believed what was in that book. And that's why we want to look at these. Because many times we hear, even well-meaning Christians, say, oh, Mormons don't believe that anymore. That's old stuff. Well, when they're giving books out such as this one, in Christmas of 1990, I have to assume that's not that long ago that this is probably still a teaching in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The first topic we're going to look at today is the church. What does this book, Gospel Doctrine, have to say about the church? And of course, in this context, the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. First of all, we're going to be looking at page 45 from this book. Joseph F. Smith writes, The moment a man says he will not submit to the legally constituted authority of the church, whether it be the teachers, the bishopric, the high council, his quorum, or the first presidency, and in his heart confirms it and carries it out, that moment he cuts himself off from the privileges and blessings of the priesthood and church and severs himself from the people of God, for he ignores the authority that the Lord has instituted in his church. And then later he writes, if we begin to cut off this one and that one and set their authority aside, we may just as well once set God aside and say that he has no right to dictate. Interesting how he equates the church with God himself. 
You can understand, folks, why it is difficult for the average member of the LDS Church to want to speak out against the leadership of the church because of that comparison. I can understand why they would be reluctant to do so. But the fact is, you are not really allowed to question, much less disobey, what the church leaders decree for the rest of the church. You have to understand that the first presidency, particularly the prophet, seer, and revelator of the church, the president of the church, he speaks for the entire church body. A bishop doesn't do that. A stake president doesn't do that. They don't have that all-encompassing authority. But the first presidency, especially the president of the church, the president and his two counselors, they have the most authority in the church, and the president himself speaks for the entire church body. Now, it gives you the impression, though, from another quote that we're going to look at, that everyone seems to have a voice in this church, that they can all raise their voice and give their opinions and be taken seriously. What does it say in Gospel Doctrine, page 69? This was said in 1918, the church, a democratic institution, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the most democratic institution in the world. Now, as you read that, if we have some Latter-day Saints listening, I'm sure even many of them are probably rolling their eyes because that's not what they've experienced. Well, they do vote at every uh, April conference. They do take the sustaining of the leaders and all of that. What would you say to somebody who would point to that? I would say, yes, they do vote. They vote for the people that the leaders have suggested that you vote for. You're not allowed to pick your own person, let's say, to be an apostle in the Mormon church or to even be a part of the first presidency. That's all done by the leadership. And even when they do vote, they're supposed to all raise their hand in the sign of the square. But yet, if they disagree, and sometimes that does happen, I remember hearing in general conference there were some controversial things going on at the time, and there were some loud voices that voted against a particular issue, and they were basically told to take it up with their stake president, but they just kind of moved along, nothing to see here, let's keep going. In the Christian church, we do have different, what's called polities, these are church governments. One polity would be a congregational polity where there is voting, a lot of Baptist churches would hold to that. We also have many Protestant churches who would hold to the eldership. I would say this is more of an eldership than it is of a congregational-led uh, uh, church because the members can certainly tell their stake president what concerns they have, but they're not going to necessarily listen to them, and they have no vote. So it's really not a democratic institution. It's set up by the leaders of this church. Especially when they say is the most democratic institution in the world. That's a bit of hyperbole that I think goes over the bounds into deception, because it certainly is not that. What does this book have to say about Mormonism? Now, we know that Mormonism, since Russell M. Nelson became president in 2018, is a word that Latter-day Saints are not supposed to use, even though it's been used throughout its history. This happens to be one of those cases, even though I will admit Mormonism is in quotation marks. But on page 72, it says, Mormonism defined. What does it say? I desire to say that Mormonism, as it is called, is still, as always, nothing more and nothing less than the power of God unto salvation unto every soul that will receive it honestly and will obey it. Now, that phrase, 
the power of God unto salvation. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, particularly chapter 1, that may sound a little bit familiar to you. But I want you to notice that phrase comes up again on page 97. He says, I thank God for Mormonism, so-called. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the duty of every Latter-day Saint to know of its truth and to exemplify it. Its destiny is to overwhelm error and supplant it with righteousness and peace. Now let's look at Romans 1.16, where we find that expression being used. Here's how it reads in its proper context. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now do you think he's really talking about the restored gospel of Mormonism in this context? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes who believes, and he's going to make a very strong case that an individual is justified by their faith in what Christ did for them, not in a church, not in their works. He goes on to say, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Does Mormonism really do that? No, and it's interesting. Joseph F. Smith says he thanks God for Mormonism. It is the power of God unto salvation. Completely different meaning from what you're reading in Romans chapter 1. Yeah, he switches the system of Mormonism with what Paul has as the gospel. They're not the same. Now, a Mormon might want to argue that they are, but see, that's the whole debate. When we look at the teachings of Mormonism and their claim to have a restored gospel, it teaches things that conflict with the New Testament understanding of the gospel. Another citation that Smith gives on page 412 of Gospel Doctrine, the church is not partisan. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is no partisan church. It is not a sect. It is, and then in all in capitals, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is the only one today existing in the world that can and does legitimately bear the name of Jesus Christ and his divine authority. And of course, that's their own personal opinion. And because they do believe that their church is the only true church, naturally, they're going to draw that conclusion. But again, I would say that that is something that's worth debating. And that's what has been debated ever since Mormonism came on the scene in the early 19th century. They can say anything they want about themselves, but the question remains, is what they're saying actually true? Page 94 of Gospel Doctrine, Joseph F. Smith says, Latter-day Saints are law-abiding. I wish to enter here my avowal that the people called Latter-day Saints, as has often been repeated from the stand, are the most law-abiding, the most peaceable, long-suffering, and patient people that can today be found within the confines of this republic, and perhaps anywhere else upon the face of the earth. And we intend to continue to be law-abiding so far as the constitutional law of the land is concerned, and we expect to meet the consequences of our obedience to the laws and commandments of God like men. These are my sentiments briefly expressed upon this subject. If he had said that Latter-day Saints are very law-abiding, I probably wouldn't have a problem with that sentence. But when you say you're the most law-abiding, the reason why I think that statement becomes somewhat ridiculous is the year that it was given, 1882. The Mormon Church is right smack dab in the middle of practicing plural marriage. They won't officially say they're going to abandon it until 1890. Now, the Edmonds Anti-Polygamy Act comes out in March of 1882. 
We're not exactly sure what issue this Deseret Weekly News is, but if it was said after March of 1882, that makes the statement even more suspect. But let's just ignore the Edmonds Anti-Polygamy Act of 1882. Let's go back to the Moral Anti-Bigamy Act of July 8, 1862. A congressman by the name of Justin Morrill put this thing together, and it was meant to punish and prevent polygamy in the United States territories. Abraham Lincoln signed it, but because the country was engaged in a civil war, it was basically a part of law, but it was not going to be enforced by the government if the Mormons stayed out of the civil war conflict which they did. Now, after the war was over, things started changing. We had not only the Edmonds Act of 1882, but then you had the Edmonds-Tucker Act, which came about a few years later. And eventually, in 1890, the Mormon Church had to come up with the manifesto and at least officially say they were going to no longer practice polygamy, although we know that that really wasn't true. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. As with most Christian organizations, Mormonism Research Ministry depends on the generous financial support of friends like you. If you like what we do and how we do it, would you consider helping MRM meet its financial obligations? Merely go to our website, mrm.org. At the right, you'll see a donate button. Click there and follow the instructions. MRM is a Christian nonprofit 501c3 organization and your gifts are tax deductible. Not only that, they are greatly appreciated. Thank you for your support of this ministry.